0: That's not the latest instalment of Slow Radio, that is uh, the desk fan that normally calls me when I'm on the turbo, but it's just calling me while I'm sat down making service course today, Uh, it's very, very muggy in this shed. Uh, Hello, it's uh, Tom here, just a quick heads up about this episode, Uh, there's loads in it, that's why I'm here to tell you about that stuff. Um, Lizzie has been covering the all points north, don't call it a race race, uh, which is a thousand kilometre, don't call it a race race, which started and ended in Sheffield, I've been speaking uh, to Marcel from New Motion Labs about their experience at Eurobike, which was their sort of coming out party. I think their first coming out party was on this show. And there's also a little bit of a look back on the Olympics and Paralympics as well, which was a bit of a feast of cycling tech. Anyway, here's the show.
1: You are listening to Service Course by The Cycling Podcast, powered by Super Sapiens, energy management for committed athletes and coaches.
0: Well, this morning, Lizzie, I was um, a little disappointed that I hadn't taken up your offer to go on a bike ride with you. But as we speak, as the rain comes down, uh, I'm pretty glad I missed it. You were at the Tour of Britain today.
2: I was indeed. Hello, Tom. Nice to see you. Yeah, I rode over to uh, the top of the Brickworks climb where... The tour of Britain came. A local through. classic. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, met up with Ly- Lionel and Simon Gill, uh, who who've been covering the tour of the Britain tour of Britain this week. And uh, yeah, it was it was so good to be back at a bike race. <laughs> Even though I have to say, <laughs> it's it's kind of a little bit disappointing being on the other side of a bike race. They arrive and then they go so quickly, and then it's over. But it was very exciting, nonetheless. Well, I
0: mean, I mean, actually, around here, it's bit, it's, I mean, it's always the way. There is always a tour of Britain stage that's sort of. Comes through sort of Cheshire, around Manchester. It, t- it tends to be the case, and it is, it's always nice to go out and watch it. I know my, my next door neighbour was out there with the with Buxton CC watching it. But the big thing about you going to this bike race, Lizzie, uh, I know for a fact that the brickworks from Sheffield that's quite away. So you must be recovering quite well. I am Look indeed. Yeah,
2: actually, we bumped into a couple of uh, a couple of friends of the podcast out on the climb, which was really really nice. And yeah, it's actually been kind of looking back at the episodes that i've done of service course since i since i came back from uh, my recovery break it's been a really good kind of miles set of milestones for me to kind of look at where i was at this month and then this month and then this month and i you know i'm i'm 96 percent there now and it's just you know a couple of final tweaks and it's it's just such a relief you know to to ride over to talk to people i've never met before um and people i haven't seen for a long time ride back have really no symptoms and i guess the only thing is at the moment that i still have, have a little bit of a little bit more fatigue than i would usually have but compared to what i had at the beginning it's nothing i mean at the beginning i would get up and get dressed and make a cup of tea and then have to lie down for 2 hours and now yeah i did 14 hours training last week after yeah, a few weeks ago I was barely doing anything and yeah, I was a little bit tired but but it's normal when you come from nothing. So it's such a relief to to really be in in the very final stage and and uh the light at the end of the tunnel is is right there and it's just kind of a few a few little tweaks that I need to get right and keep working on but what a relief. Good to be back. Yeah, <laughs> just to feel normal, you know, like the first days that I felt normal were ah uh, they were so special but then then i obviously overdid it and then had days when i didn't feel normal so it was so frustrating but now it's you know normal more often than not and uh yeah nearly there nearly nearly there so and
0: and you, you were saying before we started recording that uh, full training hours around the corner
2: yeah i'm hoping to be back um i i'm building it up slowly now because obviously i yeah, I wasn't doing very much. There was a period where I I built up the training more, and then I actually backed it off because I got to the point where I was practicing training and I was practicing my physio exercises, but everything else was compromised. I wasn't actually practicing being a normal human going to the supermarket, interacting with people, doing the washing up, <laughs> emptying the dishwasher. So we made a decision to to back off the training and to focus on real life rehab. And at that point, that was kind of July and beginning of August, when I, I backed off that training, I had such a huge increase in in what I was able to do. And then kind of it just then went from there exponentially. The more I could cope with, the faster I got better. And yeah, so so now um, I'm just slowly increasing the hours, the intensity, hoping to be back to normal training hours, uh, end of September, beginning of October. That's the goal. And yeah, seems seems perfectly doable. So it's it's really nice.
0: Well, we'll hear Lizzie's report from All Points North in just a bit. Uh, but right now we're going to change gears and we're going to go over to Eurobike. I mean, Eurobike, if you don't know, it is probably the world's biggest Uh, bike show it's certainly one that captures the media attention every year it's the sort of place where people go to unveil big big new products and uh, well I wanted to be there myself actually but obviously things are a little bit difficult so hopefully next year we can go Um, But a couple of friends of the podcast were there, and we're going to speak to one of them now. This is Marcel Fowler from New Motion Labs, who you may remember uh, we spoke to maybe back in January, December, when they unveiled their new Nduo chain technology, and they were at Eurobike to launch a new product as well. For a company like yours, you know, sort of the journey to being at Eurobike, I mean, that is very, very significant, isn't
3: it? Yeah, I mean, it it really was our coming out party at Eurobike. This was the first time that we we met with industry. Um, you know, we met with the likes of uh, Shimano um, and loads and loads of cargo e bike manufacturers and um, all of the reporters and cycling media. So it was a it was a very very significant step forward for us, and we we were able to show our technology on bikes to everybody. How did, how did you find Eurobike as an experience? I mean, it's pretty manic. <laughs> um, I mean, it's it, it's great to have everybody in under one roof, um, and everybody who develops all tech for 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 cycling. Um, and so you can almost build a bike from just the people under that one roof. Uh, so I, I really like the excitement. And I really like the innovation. You know that that we saw at Eurobike as well.
0: Well, I'm going to talk about what you unveiled and, um, you know, your, your, your products and stuff. But I was just interested, you know, what you sort of spotted doing the, doing the rounds there. Because launch- I've got to be honest, you know, I've not really looked at a huge amount of the press um, coming out of Eurobike just yet. You know, there's been a lot of cycling going on. So
3: um, what did you make of it? You know, what did you see? I mean, the, the three things that, that, that came out to me was, um, uh, was, was classified system. Uh, in which they have a, a rear hub and therefore you just have a 1x drive train uh, and it's really easy to shift the front under load. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a, it's a tremendous uh, uh, yeah, development and and really will simplify the whole of the front of the, the derailleur. Um, second, uh, I, I saw a company that had inflating and deflating tyres, depending on the conditions, where you're going to be going, which I found. Uh, really, really kind of novel, the third one was um, the the company that have kind of separated the the rear cassette from the wheel, and so both the front wheel and the rear wheel are exactly the same now, and they put the bearings into the cassette, so you can easily wow. just take off the rear wheel and put it back on within seconds
0: you d- you said to me uh, when we chat we had a catch up you were saying it 's very much uh, euro e bike. Yes.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, since the pandemic, you know, there's been 50, 60 percent year on year growth in cargo bikes and e-bikes. Everyone suddenly discovered that they don't need really a car to travel around their road. Everyone's Mm -hmm. kind of uh, got their own mountain bike exploring. And so I would say 70 to 80 percent of the bikes I saw were e-bikes. Wow.
0: Wow, I actually, it's funny. So I'm actually, you know, I'm of a uh, of that sort of age or stage in my life now, where the, the cargo bike, particularly something like, could dump two small children into, and you know, and still get up a hill, um, you know. And actually, that's where kind of you guys come in, because we we will we, we'll speak a little bit, you know, about your um, the chain we spoke about, you know, back in back in sort of December, January time. But you were there actually to to launch a, another product that you've been developing, right?
3: Yeah, so we, we were launching the dual engagement sprocket called the Enduro Evolve. And it uses the same principle as the chain drive, but it uses a conventional roller chain uh, and enables it to undergo this dual engagement, which is uh, transferring power on both sides of the tooth and therefore not moving, reducing friction and therefore increasing lifetime and durability and efficiency. And
0: this is, this is specifically for... For cargo e-bikes, that sort of stuff.
3: So this is specifically for any kind of cycling application. For for cargo, um, we can increase lifetime by uh, up to thirty percent just with the change of the tooth profile, but using the same chain. And then for kind of track cycling, we can go up to above ninety nine percent drivetrain efficiency. So it it, it depends on which which kind of what you're interested in really. Well, that actually brings me on to something else I wanted to ask you about. And, and we, did, we did touch on this when we were chatting the other day. But
0: um, I really wanted to talk to you because I really wanted your sort of hot... I mean, basically, since we spoke, I've, I'm sort of now attuned to stuff about chains. And obviously, I've <laughs> spoken to the people at Driven. Um, and I've read various articles. And, I, and one of the articles I wanted to, to talk to you about, it, well, actually, if you, it was actually pre-the Olympics. So we can actually talk about the Olympics instead. But um, it was about the chain that GB um, were using, their revolutionary... Chain. <laughs> I just wanted your um, your take on, on on the tech, really, and um, what you met, what you made of it.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, so there are two ways in which you can increase the efficiency um, of of a transmission tech. Uh, so you can stop the relative movement, which is what we're doing, so uh, with the Enduro technology, or you can reduce the pitch, um, which the GB chain did. And by reducing the pitch, just explain you the pitch. So, I mean, I, I explain. I mean, I, I still can't get my head around a lot of these terms. But explain yeah. pitch to people. Don't so know. The, the the pitch is the distance between the teeth. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, what the GB team did uh, is that they they went from thirteen millimeter, which is half inch, to to about ten millimeter, which is three over eighth inch. Uh, and by doing that, they it meant that the 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 chain um, moved less when transferring power. Basically, chains lose energy when they're moving while transferring power. And by making a a smaller chain, it meant it moved less while transferring power.
0: So that was Marcel from uh, New Motion Labs. Um, And if you want to hear the episode that they first featured on, I think it was from about January, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, But Lizzie, over to you.
2: Well, this month I have been indulging myself, Tom. <laughs> I, you know, <laughs> we call ourselves more than a tech show here on Service Course. And uh, this is very loose tech. <laughs> this is really uh, an overlap with Explore. But this is something that I've been wanting to do for over a year now. Um, so this past month, actually just this past week, I covered an event called All Points North, which is a 1,000 kilometre audax starting and finishing in Sheffield. And this race was supposed to take place in 2020. And like so many things was delayed and then cancelled and then delayed again. And it was really a relief to, for it to finally be able to happen in uh, yeah, this month in September. And I guess my interest in kind of ultra endurance or and really I'm not a specialist on the terminology here. Please, please uh, forgive me if I if I say the wrong thing. I guess that started really when I was following Mark Beaumont's around the world in 80 days trip back in, oh, what was that? Three, three, four years ago now. And and that was kind of as I was getting into cycling and I was following him on YouTube. and And then from then... I've been following Lachlan Morton's progress with uh, with EF Education First last year. He did this amazing ride at GB Duro. Mark Beaumont actually won GB Duro again this year. And uh, over on the EF uh, YouTube channel, there's some brilliant, brilliant films from that. Again, Lachlan Morton, he's he's kind of, yeah, he's, he's obviously been converting the pro peloton over to ultra endurance riding. And he did his alt tour where he uh, rode the Tour de France route and all of the transfers between, and it was over 5,000 kilometers. So all of that has really piqued my interest in ultra endurance and Audax riding. So with that in mind, I headed off to the start of the event uh, at All Points North over at a different gear bike shop in Sheffield this Saturday evening. Uh, And first off, we'll hear from Angela Walker, who's the organizer, followed by some of the absolutely brilliant characters who were taking part in this race. So I'm here at a different gear with Ange Walker, who is the organiser of All Points North. (laughs) So Ange, can you explain to me the format of this race and how it works for the riders? Okay, so there
4: are 10 control points scattered all around the north of England. Riders leave Sheffield and then they have to get to the other 10 control points in any order that they want to get them. So they plan their own route. It's a completely free route. Um do all 10 come back to Sheffield hopefully before Wednesday lunchtime and roughly how far are the riders going to have to go it's we we try to make it as close to a thousand kilometers as we can so i've done you know six or seven different route configurations to to, to try to make sure that we get the distance i think the one of the riders i spoke to today has managed to get their route down to 933 which is the the lowest that I've heard.
2: Does that mean that they have to have to go off road and on gravel and then compromise on speed though? No they shouldn't have to
4: no, um, I've tried to design it because I want to make it as accessible as I can to people I've tried to keep it purely on road so all the control points can be reached by road and um, I guess they could cut some corners by going off-road, but then they're probably going to lose a little bit of time because, you know, it's, it's unsurfaced. So.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and so there's, there's the start here in Sheffield, the finish here in Sheffield, and ten points between there. And these points are scattered everywhere. The the northernmost point is right up on the Scottish border. The westernmost point is Honister Pass, which in itself is a brute. And the easternmost point is Bedderley North, North Bar, but also you've got to go up to the coast further up there yeah, as well. Yeah, so
4: we always try to make sure we get... Uh, One control as close to the border as we can, one on the east coast, which is Runswick Bay this year, and one on the west coast, which is Silverdale this year. So we've got to try to get, you know, a a north, south, east and west.
2: And one interesting point when I was reading through the rules is it says... You have to start and finish with all the same kit. So yeah. you can't start with your sleeping bag and then go, oh, hold on, it's nice weather, I don't need this, I'm just going to chuck this in yeah. the bin. And absolutely. also, no aid. You know, some, some other races say if people are dot-watching and they turn up with a bottle on the side of the road, you can take it, but this one says no aid, absolutely, so totally kind of yeah, self-sufficient. You've got, to, you've got to say no. As long as it's commercially available to all riders...
4: Then, then you're allowed. So if you go into a bar and you want uh, you know, to buy a drink and it's in opening hours and, and any rider can do that, then that's no problem. But if somebody's standing at the side of the road offering you a bottle of water... Because you're their favourite rider. <laughs> absolutely. You've got to say, no, I'm really sorry. It's against the rules of the race. Now, obviously, we can't police that when we're out there, but we... We like to think that the riders take it in the spirit that it's meant and do try to stick to the rules
2: as much as possible. Totally. It's great to see this race back, actually, because it first started in 2019. And then obviously, for obvious reasons, we couldn't race it last year. But you actually had not all points north, (laughs) didn't you? So can you tell us a little bit about that? So last year we tried really hard
4: to figure out a way that we could still make the event happen, you know, under kind of covid restrictions Um, so what we decided to do was because we'd already plotted the routes and a lot of the riders had already designed their course we decided to let people just as a completely free event just ride their route but all on the same day but they could start and finish at any control point that was near to their house so they didn't have to come to sheffield to start so we had like a couple of guys who lived up in scotland so they rode to the nearest control to them rode the race and then rode home and then we looked at everybody's times and kind of figured out that way who managed to do most of them. So a lot of people really enjoyed it and some riders on the route still ended up kind
2: of meeting up with one another along the way. So it it worked out pretty well, actually. So finally, we are officially a tech show. (laughs) We like to bring that interpretation a little bit loose sometimes, but what's kind of, I'd say, either the weirdest, wildest or wackiest setup you've seen going on in this race so far and obviously it's only it's a young race you know two three years um but what what have you seen that's been i i have to say I'd, I'd never seen these tail fins before and uh we talked to some of the riders with those which you'll hear from soon but um i'd not seen those before but i guess that's that's kind of normal yeah, for, for your taxes, tail but. fins
4: have become pretty standard now they're really nice lightweight racks so we do see quite a lot of those um am trying to think in terms of strange setups um a lot of riders are using aero bars i've seen some aero bars that are like super high off the you know off the drops so that's been quite interesting seeing the the difference in all the different types of aero bars that people are using um uh, we've got our first
2: tandem this year i did interview them you'll hear yeah. from them later which is really interesting they're on a, a galaxy doors twin bike with yeah. uh, a big a big pannier rack and they've got mattresses on the back <laughs> they also had a, they also had a pizza attached <laughs> to um <laughs> their pannier rack which i thought was brilliant so yeah it, it's great to see kind of more diverse entries i guess um yeah. I mean, but no no cargo bikes we've not had a cargo bike <laughs> no, yet. no I babies did, on the front no back. babies i did
4: see somebody Arriving on a cargo bike today, and I thought, "Oh my God, is he actually going to ride it on that?" But now he's just a spectator, thankfully. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, we've not seen anything too crazy, really. Um, we had one single speed last year, uh, and we had somebody do it on fixed last year. I don't Oof. think we've got any this year. That I can. That'll be a brave
2: rider going up to Pass on a fixed gear. Yeah, year.
4: yeah. But the last, uh, the first time we did it, he went up. Um, he went up the struggle wow. in, in Ambleside on, a, on, yeah, fixed. Well, I think he probably ended up walking most of it, but, he,
2: you know, he, he had to go. He got round, so... So, fastest riders. Hoping, hoping to be in on Monday. When are you going to open the, uh, the checkpoint, the final checkpoint at Healy Institute, expecting we're, the riders? Yeah,
4: we're going we're to open late Monday afternoon. So, Pavel Pulaski, who got with the first rider back in 2019... We will hear from him later. He did it last time in I think about 46 hours so this year we've made the we've put an extra control in to try to make sure that riders must kind of stay to the distance because I think the first time we run it some people got their route down to around about 800 so but like I say this year we think it's a lot higher than that so I'm not expecting him to be as soon back but Last time he had 20 minutes rest, and this time he's saying, oh, maybe I don't need that 20 minutes rest. So. And, and
2: you just kind of follow the dots, and if, if they, they're coming a bit early, you just yeah, open up yeah, early. Yeah, yeah,
4: yeah. We're, we're kind of... Because we've got the Audax coming back tomorrow anyway, so we're, we're around most of the time, so if, if it looks like people are going to start arriving back sooner, then we'll open up earlier.
5: Yeah. Hi, my name's Callan Rogers. I'm rider number 11 at All Points North.
2: Okay, so the reason I've come over to Callum's bike is because I've been told about his super fancy mudguards when I was on the lookout for some cool tech. So just to describe them to you, they are um, silver-looking, rippled-effect, full mudguards. What can you tell me about them?
5: Sure. um, For people looking on Google, they're called Velo Orange Wavy Fenders, and they're 58mm, and they're for 650b wheels. Um, When I got this bike last October um this is a surly midnight special i showed him i showed my mate on um instagram of course um this is the bike i'm getting and he said you should get some nice mudguards with that because it's on cycle to work scheme so obviously there's no vat on cycle to work scheme stuff so here they are and they've got gilbert there, leather flaps on as well which i think were like 50 quid for yeah. whatever.
2: <laughs> and looking really cool is um an important part of having a lot of motivation to go faster and further
5: Exactly, but well, I've done my share of rides and, and wet weather and when it's really wet, it's just like being power-hosed in the crotch unless you've got guards on, so I'm glad I've got them, I've got them on and they, they do a cracking job. They make a lovely noise if you're going over like gravel as well, little ding-ding-ding-ding-ding ding noises. It's brilliant.
2: Totally, and I think with a race like this, when it's a 1,000 kilometres and two days ago we looked at the weather forecast and it was saying it was going to throw it down all weekend. Wait, I didn't
5: know it was a race. Uh,
2: well, OK, sorry, 1,000-kilometre <laughs> right. <laughs> event. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> did you know what you're getting yourself in for but uh i mean like the weather's so unpredictable we're in the north of england you're going from sheffield only north yeah and if it's going to be wet it's going to be miserable and so a lot of people end up scratching races because
5: well i've, I've been following katie butler on youtube for a long old time and um her footage of what it was like two years ago really made me bring my sort of kitchen sink with me because i'm just it, i'm i'm completely mindful it can just turn at any second and i'd really rather if it it slows me down a little to have a bunch of spare layers and i get to the end not wearing some of them like bigger problems
2: i'm trying to recall the race that was oh a few months ago up in the northwest but i had a head injury so i do have a good excuse for not remembering it and so many riders scratched it was up in the Lake district and around forest of bowland around there no no i can't remember either anyway i think you know only a few riders finished because it was just through an absolutely horrendous storm. And like you said, if you're prepared, then you can actually get through that. Um, so, can you just quickly talk us through the rest of your equipment? You've got a big old retro Paradise bag on the back. Yeah,
5: so that's, um, I, I really love Paradise stuff. I think it looks lovely. And I think that bag sent me back like 20 quid off of a forum called London Fixed Gear and Single Speed. Um, I've repaired some of it using a Sailmaker's sailing kit. Um, which was a couple of quid off off the internet. So and you can wax it yourself just with a tin of waxed um, wax paraffin and then hairdryer it so it seeps into the canvas and it's waterproof. Love it. And I need to get around to sewing stuff on it at some point, but at the moment it's yeah it, fit, it fits all by lunch.
2: I, I love that because I think one of the big big barriers to kind of bikepacking and audax events is the cost of things. So I love that you say that you can just get get it for twenty quid. And uh, what have you got on the front of the bike?
5: Um, so on the front are two Planet X adventure cages i think they're called i think the, the bundle was like 20 quid for the lot uh, and an outkit airlock 20 litre bag which um has been really terrific that's just got my sleeping bag in at the moment and a planet x frame bag and a planet x food bag and a planet x bottle bag for the handlebars and more planet x um time trial levers and so yeah that's 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 the, that's the front of the that's that's the front
2: I guess the big question here is, how much does this bad boy weigh? Because you've got to get up some some serious hills oh, <laughs> over the I'm, next few days.
5: <laughs> I mean, I, I, it weighs what it weighs. Yeah. Yeah, you, I, I, my, my old bike was made of Reynolds 853 steel with a carbon fork. And when I got this bike last year, the, the bike industry, you get less for your money these days. So I have kind of downgraded to 4130 chromoly, but... That's just what's on the market these days. And I've I've enjoyed the robustness that this bike has offered me because it can go off-roading, on-roading. You know, yeah, it's not the lightweight of of all points north, but I I like this bike a lot.
2: I feel like this is a purist bike. Well, good luck, wishing you all the best, and I hope you have a a safe trip.
5: Thank you so much. Uh, Have a good one yourself.
6: Hi, I'm Pavel uh, Blavsky Yep.
2: And so, actually, I'm graced with the winner of the very first All Points North and the only previous All Points North because, unfortunately, last year it got cancelled and it became not All Points North, mm-hmm. so not really a race. Yeah. Um How does it feel to be back at All Points North 2021? And it's a bit of a bigger challenge this year because it's more like 1,000 kilometres and was it only about 500 in, in
6: 2019? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's great to be back. Uh, I was waiting for this event for like i think more than two years now yeah. yeah yeah more than two years so yeah it's super that we could that you know it, it can happen uh, and i think yeah the last year was uh the distance was uh, nearly 900 k's for me kilometers this year yeah the angela said it will be longer <laughs> but my route has like 950 k's so yeah it's pretty thousand k's Yeah, but it's uh, definitely more climbing, definitely more climbing this year, yeah.
2: And I'm looking at your bike, but could you quickly tell me what kind of setup you have for the listeners? Because I would say that this is a um, skimpy setup, but it's probably what I would go for, because at the end of the day... Yeah, you don't have to race it, but it is a race and weight matters, doesn't it? So mm. you've really got very little on the bike there, but can you talk us through it?
6: Yeah, um, I mean, I went for light bike because I know it's lots of climbing here and the hills are steep. It's, short. it's not really high here, but there's like constant up and down, up and down. It's my experience from the uh, 2019. And uh, yeah, I'm after also after quite a long race and <laughs> not really recovered. So I think having less on bike would be easier for me. Uh, and setup is uh, just like I always go. I use uh, steel bike, steel frame with carbon fork. Uh, uh, it's a custom made frame from Poland. Rodzaj, holder bikes, and uh, uh, just custom also custom two custom bags like frame bag and front bag. But
2: but they're very small bags, so you've got yeah. a, a half rain bag, yeah. very narrow and um, a very small front pack, so you must not have many kind of no. <laughs> clothes, but you're, you're not planning on sleeping, I mean, you're not planning on getting cold or wet.
6: <laughs> no, I mean, no, I got a rain jacket inside, I got uh, like a warm jacket for colder hours, I got uh, sleeves and uh, leg warmers. Actually, i got pretty a lot of clothes inside. <laughs> anyway, I don't me. believe you. Yeah, I, mean, I will show you. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's true. I don't have really proper sleeping kit.
2: Yeah, so, so. so do you not plan on sleeping? Or are you just planning on finding a couple of hours in a, in a bus stop with a down jacket?
6: Yeah, this is probably the plan. Uh, this is probably the plan. Uh, my flight is uh, on Tuesday evening, <laughs> so I don't have too much time really.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's only it's only two and a half days till then, so <laughs> three days till then, no worries, no worries. Well, good luck, wish you all the best and um, hope to see you first across the finish line.
6: Thanks a lot, see you later. <laughs>
2: so we've just had a chat from Angela Walker, the organiser, and... Uh, It's finished now, about 20 minutes to start, and there's a lot of nervous faces around. (laughs) The participants have just been informed that at the northernmost point of the route, um, which is Upper Dale, there is a firing range, which you can't actually access the the checkpoint between 9am and 5pm on monday and 9am and midnight on tuesday so some of the participants hadn't worked this out in their research so uh, i think there's going to be a bit of a mad scramble to make sure the routes go the right way and uh, everybody's going to get to that point before 9am on monday so i'm here with nikki short who actually has been an inspiration for me she was at university with me and went on my first ever university club ride about eight years ago and i don't think i've seen nikki since i just told her the story um and nikki's probably one of the hot favorites for the women's race this year how do you feel about that nikki well that's what i've been told
7: (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) sorry to drop that on you (laughs) yeah that's the first i've heard of it so
2: um, let's see if I can live up to that expectation well you come into this ok well we didn't really have any races last year for obvious reasons but in 2019 you had a, a pretty good Audax season didn't you? yeah well actually last year I did manage to squeeze in one
7: race in between the various lockdowns so I did the two volcano sprint which was in October um, and, and where was that for non for Audaxes? Uh, that was in Italy, it wasn't actually an Audax it was an ultra race uh, how, long, how far was it? A 1000 kilometres between um, Mount Vesuvius and Mount Etna, so hell of a lot of climbing in that. Um,
4: should
2: so... prepare
7: you well for, for this race, around the same distance, also <laughs> a lot of climbing. Well, that race was like double the amount of climbing in the same distance, so this should be easy, a walk in the park, <laughs> compared, yeah. So we'll see about that. <laughs>
2: so uh, can you talk me through your setup that is what i'm really interested in the techie side yeah. it's a pretty light setup which again i think that's pretty good that's what it i'd looks, go for
7: yeah it looks pretty light it's unfortunately it is heavier than it looks i don't know where all the weight is i
2: think have you weighed it
7: no never, never wait <laughs> never weigh a race bike it'll just weigh on your mind <laughs> and then you'll think well to be honest this is the heaviest it will be because of obviously a uh, fully loaded with the, the food and water for the, especially for the first night, because we're setting off at eight o'clock. So you have to be able to sustain yourself for like the next sort of ten hours. Um,
2: and a lot of the places, of course, that you're going are in the middle of nowhere. So there's not petrol stations and things like that all around, and, and yeah, all twenty-four hour shops. So
7: absolutely, I think it's going to be sort of three hundred kilometres before I plan to make my first stop. So I really want to be able to just keep on going. So I've also got a, a camel back on my back it's got a a litre of water in there Um, and then I've got another litre of water actually on the bike itself so um, I mean yeah that's the main thing especially riding at night you need to make sure you've got enough water because you can't you you can't run out of water halfway through the night and then you know just be (laughs) finding the first petrol station in the morning.
2: Um, and then yeah in terms of bags you've got a very small saddle bag a, a small top tube bag and a very small spring yeah. bag so it is it is minimal but it looks like you have everything you need
7: it's uh, yeah it's similar to the setup that i had for two volcano sprint and with it being similar in distance as well so I know the fact that i'm not I'm not really planning on having any extended stops so i've cut out the um the bivy kit i haven't got any i've got an emergency bivy yeah which just packs down to you know the size of your fist so it really doesn't take up that much space at all um
2: yeah it's just the essentials actually electronics take up i was just about to ask so a really important thing of course is safety so the riders are starting (laughs) from sheffield at 8 p.m and and it's going to take the best riders best riders might be back on monday then then tuesday we expect everybody back but you've got to be self-sufficient with charging and you have to have lights for the whole time uh and and how do you do that do you just take battery packs with you do, do some people have
7: dynamos? I, um, I've i never had a dynamo. I always just rely on a battery pack. So I've got a 10,000 milliamp battery pack. And I've also got a battery cell for my exposure light at the front. Um, so that's, so the, the battery pack will just power my phone and my Wahoo. And then I've got the separate charger for my light. So... Um, I, sh- I should be okay and, and you've I, never run out before <laughs> i haven't and i normally carry an, a, in case of an emergency i carry like a, a wall socket obviously i've got all my usb cables so just in case i do need to stop like in a mcdonald's is always a good place to stop because they have wi-fi you know you can, you can plug into the wall in case you need to charge things up and of course get yourself a um, a few Big Macs as well. you are you at it? <laughs> Not for me though, because I'm vegetarian. So
2: well, chips. I mean, it's, chips, that is a great source of fuel. Yeah, carbs and salt. I mean, chips is literally the perfect and perfect thing. And I've seen people filling their top tube bags with chips. <laughs> well, yeah, <much> <laughs> uh, I can't. I'm, I'm yet to yet
7: be initiated on that around myself because I. I can't imagine, like, the amount of cleaning afterwards, you know, <laughs> dealing with a greasy bag for the rest of your life. So.
2: Well, the final thing I wanted to talk about on the, the safety subject was, if you look around the yard here, pretty much every rider has some sort or other of um, visibility strap. So is it the Monkey see st- monkey straps yes. that you've got on? And, and these are, I think there's a couple of different brands that you can, you can get with these, and they just strap around your middle and over your shoulders, and it's a, it's a fluorescent yellow stripe with a reflective strip, and it just helps you... Be seen in the dark. Do you have? Have you ever had any safety concerns, or is this is this pretty much all you need? Um, you can You can never have
7: you know enough t- things to keep you safe on the road. The more the better, really. Uh, I've got two rear lights, and I also carry a spare one. Um, I think actually, when I did the race two years ago, I managed to lose one of my lights during the night, and you know you're not going to go back and look for your light. It could be anywhere. So what I do now is I carry. I normally carry a spare light with me. It's, it's so important to have those, those rear lights. Um, yeah, and obviously the, the visibility at night as well. So.
2: Well, Nikki, i better let you go. It is to Riders lining up in five minutes. Best of luck. And uh, I'll be following your dot. Might even see you at the finish unless you arrive at 3am, in which case I'm sorry, I'm not going <laughs> to get up for you. But good luck. Have a safe Thank trip. You. Thank you so much. Uh, my personal aim is to ride back on Monday night. So hopefully see you then. So I've got a few more minutes until the ride is set up and I am just getting hold of my good friends Hannah LaBlessia and Liam Bromley who are riding as a pair and they have told me, I'm not going to say it too loudly, that their secret ambition is not only to win the pairs but to win the race. So how are you two feeling? You've got ten minutes to go. Sorry, I'm broadcasting it to the nation now.
8: Uh, well, I don't know. Well, I think we'll be happy just to get around in a decent time but I think we can be competitive. We'll just see how it goes because... We haven't really done anything like this before.
2: Well, Hannah, you were explaining to me yesterday or the day before about, you know, I thought that a pair would go faster because obviously you can draft each other, but actually sometimes it doesn't work like that, does it? And sometimes you can actually slow each other down.
8: Yeah, I mean, one of the, like, the places that you're going to lose time on a race like this, are when you're stopping for buying food or going for a wee or sleeping, and quite often that faff time doesn't necessarily synchronise between pairs' riders, so... Yeah, you have to
3: accommodate the needs of both people, so it's kind of, if one person's having a bad bad time of it, then the other person's got to slow down, so.
2: And how do you deal with differences in fitness? Obviously, a man and a woman, yeah, it's likely that you're going to have different fitness. Do you find that actually it's no problem riding together, and and you kind of spur each other on, or (laughs) can it lead to perhaps Um, a divorce?
6: (laughs) (laughs) Well, we're
3: pretty used to riding together, aren't we?
8: I think it can work quite well, because I think, obviously I'm a bit slower than Liam, but... In the long run, that's probably a good thing for Liam to have to slow down to accommodate my pace a bit because it will mean that he's a bit fresher towards the end. And like on all the flat sections, I can just sit on his wheel and let him do the work. But then obviously, like, if I'm feeling a bit stronger, then I can take the front and let him have a break. Yeah, I mean, we're quite used to riding together, so I hope it goes well.
2: Finally, on the tech side of things, anything special with your setups?
3: Mine's just standard road bike. Rim brakes, 28 mil tyres, so nothing special.
8: Um, I'm on tubeless 28 mil tyres, um, which the mechanic has just told me my rear tyre is set up back to front, <laughs> which I wish. Well, Hannah, you afterwards. told me my
2: rear tyre. My husband put my rear tyre on my bike back to front. It's been like that for months, so
8: yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> um, and there's nothing that special. Um, I'm on Etap Axis gears, so I'm hoping the batteries last for the whole event. Um, but Do have, you have a spare one? I have a charger, so I can charge them if I need to. Um, and then I've got some tri-bars on the front, um, full frame bag, and then my seat pack is full of my sleep system. So in comparison to a lot of people, I feel quite like I'm carrying quite a lot of stuff. But
2: So you guys are planning to sleep then? For a couple
3: of hours, at most.
2: <laughs> well, good luck, wishing you a safe passage, and hopefully to see you here on uh, Monday evening. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you. Cool. Okay, so it's five minutes to the start, (laughs) and I've just found pair number 76, 76. and they're on a tandem, so obviously they are riding this race as a pair. Can you guys just quickly introduce yourselves? Yeah, I'm Laura, and this is Stevie. We're known as Stella Tandem. (laughs) Brilliant, and I guess you guys have done this before. It looks like you've done this before. Not this ride before,
1: but we've ridden lots of Audaxes before, so this is, yeah, first time I've had a bash at this one, so
2: yeah. Can you quickly run me through your tandem setup?
1: Well yeah, so it's a bicycle made for two, um, it's a fairly heavy machine and yeah, we've kind of got a bit of a trad setup. so we've got two panniers on the back and I've got a little nose bag, um, Steve's got the aero bars at the front and yeah.
2: Yeah, Dawes Galaxy Twin, Brooks Saddles,
1: Oh, we're the mattress. Too. very <laughs> traditional, yeah and they have
2: two mattresses on the back um, and how are you hoping to fare in this pairs competition?
1: we would just love to get around our main aim is just to finish because yeah if we can get here for 8pm on tuesday we'll be over the moon it be a really tough ride on a tandem so yeah i
2: think we're brave for giving it a go i think you're really brave there's some very steep hills but i believe in you guys and how have you coped with the news about uh the firing range <laughs> up at the we northern point yeah, yeah we had
1: that all in hand yeah oh, yeah so, so you we spent so long because especially with the tandem as well we need to keep it flat we can't be on too rough terrain for example we we're not a gravel bike so yeah we have spent so long planning yeah so that was sorted
2: well it is brilliant to see a different kind of setup um racing this race and yeah good luck to you both wishing you a safe journey and i hope to see you back here on monday or tuesday evening
1: amazing thank, <laughs> thank you, you
2: <laughs> good luck what's it like i should have asked this before what's it like being behind for three days can you see where you're going not really. Going downhill takes a lot getting used to because it's
1: basically blind. Um, so, yeah, I get the view from the side, but I mostly stare at Stee's lower back. So that's, yeah, 72 hours staring at Steve's lower back.
2: Maybe you can actually have a sleep. OK, right, riders are off now. This is very exciting. A lot of nervous faces here. The sun is just going down, lots of lights on, all the monkey seat straps, and the riders are about to get ready for a 1,000 kilometre, roughly, trip around the north of England. they're
9: off
0: <laughs> well it? before we heard from the uh, competitors at the start of that can I call it a race Is it, oh, well it, it a race. that's
2: the thing it's a race that's not a race that's how they describe it <laughs>
0: But you, you mentioned Mark Beaumont uh, taking part in GB Juro. Um, actually, Mark he won that race, but he was um, he was recording for the cycling podcast at the time. Uh, I don't actually know when he got time to record because I don't. Think I was going to say he much. could
2: have could have won it by a bit more if he hadn't bothered recording for the cycling podcast. Yeah. Um,
0: but keep your eyes that's going to be a special episode uh, coming out soon. So keep your eye out for that.
1: The cycling podcast is supported by Science in Sport. Science in Sport fueled
0: by science. Well, thanks as ever to Science in Sport for their continued sponsorship of the cycling podcast and service course and all the other great things that we do over here. Uh, recently, Rich asked all of us how many grand tours we've done with the cycling podcast. And I was trying to tot it up. I think I've probably done about approximately around 19, maybe 20, maybe 18, give or take. Grand Tours and Science in Sport have been with us for all of those so thank you as ever again to Science in Sport and if you like me need to re-up on your Science in Sport goodies then go to scienceinsport.com enter the offer code SISCP25 and you get 25% off that's SISCP25
2: well we'll be going back to all points north to catch up on the progress of the riders at the end of the episode so do stay tuned but in the meantime we're going to throw back to the olympics and the paralympics feels like a world away now but it was only just a month ago and what a spectacular feast of tech it was i mean i wish i could have been on the ground and kind of yeah (laughs) had a look at these skin suits and you know did you did you see that new zealand skin suit what was it made of looked like a scuba diving suit (laughs)
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, really, uh, really, you know, I, uh, you know, if you hadn't seen cycling for a while and you'd come back to it, you'd be like, "What on earth has happened to this sport? What, what is it?" Because um, it it just looked radically different, didn't it, on the TV?
2: Yeah, I mean, the GB bikes were wild, but there were some really some, you know, some big thrills and spills, uh, particularly at the Olympics. And of course, you might remember that we saw the spectacular bar failure of the Australian team pursuit. Thankfully, the riders involved were okay because, yeah, I mean, if that had been rider number one, it could have been a really, really, really bad crash. So so thankfully they were okay. But it, it does call into question, you know, there are a lot of these bar manufacturers out there. And my husband's an engineer and we, we've kind of been thinking about it and wondering, well, how much engineering is there in these bar designs? And I think it... <sighs> It must have been quite a difficult time for the teams competing afterwards. Um, the GB team were actually up straight after the Australian team and the Australian team had to go and do their run again, knowing what had happened before. And, and that fear is, is really, really challenging. But also, both at the Paralympics and Olympics, we saw some spectacular world and Olympic records fall. In particular, the men's team pursuit Final was absolutely thrilling. I'd have to say, actually, that the women's team pursuit world record was probably a more spectacular drop in terms of numbers. Um, we expected the men's men's team pursuit record to fall, but the women's fell by a lot. But the the men's team pursuit final was just spectacular. With that in mind, I spoke to my former teammate Martina Alzini, who is in the women's team. The reason I spoke to her is because I felt that knowing a little bit about how the italian federation works that there is so much more there that meets the eye than meets the eye with the italian team and i think if they had the resources that other countries like gb like the usa germany had what could be done there so i had a good chat with martina about the olympics and her experience and where she thinks she can go from now so, Martina, fresh from the Tokyo Olympics, first of all, how does it feel to be an Olympian?
10: Wow, for me, this is amazing. It's the dream of a career. It's something that I dreamt a lot. And uh, when I was a child, every time I see, I watch the Olympics in TV and uh, lots of sport and make me so motivated and so inspired to one day be there that, yeah, my dream, di- my dream come true. So I'm really happy about this, and I felt lots of emotion in Tokyo. Also, new emotion for me, and uh, for me was just a roller coaster of new uh, things and uh, nervous, anxious, but also really inspired to be, to to do my best, you know, and be part of a team representing my nation uh, that I love. It's something that yeah
2: it was amazing for me I mean one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you was i mean we couldn't not notice the men's team pursuit team. They set the world record three times over and won the gold medal and and that is incredible, but I think sometimes we forget to look at the the places beyond first, second, and third, and you guys actually were sixth overall. you qualified fourth in the first in the the first round, which is actually the qualification round. Uh, and then there's what is called the first round, which is actually the second round. And then in the third round, which is the finals, you were sixth overall. But what I see is a squad full of potential and knowing a little bit about what the Italian Federation is like and also knowing a little bit about the resources in the British Federation, the German Federation, Australian, etc., etc. I see such a huge kind of room for improvement there with the Italian Federation. And I remember back at the beginning of last year when we were teammates and that was going to be an Olympic year. And you were telling me that <laughs> actually you hadn't really used training peaks or power meters. So, I mean, is that something that you then started to utilize? Cause these are things that are, you know, mainstay things for any, any other Federation really.
10: Yeah. Uh, this is true. Um, uh, you you're telling right because it's the first year for me that i'm using a power meter on the track and uh, yeah i'm not saying it's right or not right is our kind to work you know and uh, for sure we are young talented team but being young is not the reason to our sixth place because for me yeah for sure we hoped for a medal also if we knew that were was really really difficult but yeah, we came home with a new Italian record for 10.0 is is really nice for us, and uh, we came home with uh, such a strong motivation to get better in Paris and uh, yeah, go in Paris for uh, fighting for a medal and <laughs> for the victory. Why not? And uh, for sure, um, the new world record and the gold medal of the men get us really, really inspired. And uh, for me, for uh, in in my opinion, for me, it was inspired also looking at the German team in the women team pursuit because wow, were amazing the new world record and their gold medal. For me, is really is <laughs> is speechless, you know. And uh, also because we are talking about some girls that are um, racing with us both in road and in the um, in the track. So. Uh, yeah you you are saying right because for me we can getting better in lots of points for example to the aerodynamics uh, maybe analyze better our uh, performances and uh, yeah something we can we can change in better you know for um, for racing in Paris with more um confidential
2: thing you know yeah and it's interesting that you mention about kind of the equipment and handlebars because yeah we saw that the the new pinarello bike came out last year or the end of 2019 and it's a great bike claims to be one of the fastest and you know really the difference between the bikes is very very small but it's the aerodynamic position on the bike that makes such a big difference and i think the the handlebars of the Italian team, uh, they kind of raised some eyebrows because everyone said, oh, wow, look at those. And I guess the one thing that I noticed is, yeah, they're really cool handlebars, but I noticed how you guys are, you're quite high up. And so I wonder, have you done much testing in the wind tunnel? Because it's one of those things, it's, it's great if you have really great handlebars, but it's also important to do a lot of testing. And I don't know if um, you guys have the funding that some other nations have in order to kind of test. And then once you've, not just test, test and then try that position on the track because it's so important to be able to hold that position when you're going full gas for four kilometers.
10: Yeah, uh, this is another point that for sure we have to improve because uh, we went one time uh, over the last year in a wind tunnel at the Polytechnic in Milano. So uh, for me it's different trying uh, the material and the position when you are not pedaling on a track in uh, uh, doing the maximum of your effort at 60 km per hour. This is true, so maybe it's another point that we have to uh, consider at and for sure uh, to get better for the next three years. And uh, we, I would like to say that it's not just positioning and doing the test on the wind tunnel, but also training your body to keep this position for four minutes you know what i mean like also uh, keeping the right position and the most aerodynamic position for me is a
2: training mm-hmm. and that's and that's training on and off the track isn't it you know there's so much strength work behind that um shoulder strength, neck strength, and it's that being able to build that up over time and then being able to kind of yeah, for sure. practice being in that really, really extreme position. And so I guess with that aerodynamic input, I was wondering if there's much of a difference in uh, facilities really between the men and the women, or do you think that there is, but it's down to the fact that, for instance, Scanner rides for... Linneos Grenadiers and so he gets the input from his trade team and yeah so so is there a difference and if so why is that?
10: Yeah this is for me a curious point because um, we use the same skin suit as the men and uh, maybe um, in the future there will be some difference between men and women because um, for sure the height velocity that the man can keep in a team pursuit is different uh, between women so maybe uh, the different um, sponsor of skin suite, they will try a new fiber for the women and uh, because it's different you know uh, maybe it's different the, the text texture is right
9: mm-hmm. the, um,
10: the skinuit how uh, can react at 60 kilometer per hour instead of 17 you know so this is a curious point to develop for me and also you know the same uh, we have done the same with cask this year because I race with a different helmet um, instead of some other girl that race with another kind of helmet just because when we went in the wind tunnel we have tried um, we find out the difference that for me was better the one who I used and uh, yeah I think in the future will be the same with new helmet maybe new kind of aerodynamic and uh, let's see
2: yeah I mean I remember when I was talking to uh, the guys from Hoob what Bike about skin suits mm-hmm. last year and it was so interesting to hear them say they'd been working working with Vortec and it wasn't only just the different speeds that you're traveling at but each individual rider just the way you hold your arms the way your body shape is some of us have yeah yeah, different size hips different size boobs (laughs) and so all of those things where you hold your head they all make a huge impact on how the air air hits you and how it flows over your body and so one rider might put on what is supposedly a really fast skin suit and actually it might be quite slow for them and And then, as well, it's about how the air actually travels over the four riders in the line. So it's so complicated. It's not just your own aerodynamics and getting a fast, you know, getting a fast position (laughs) and getting a fast skin suit. It's a fast position for you. Um, And I I guess, again, another thing I noticed watching on TV is you can see on TV that. GB, New Zealand, uh, Germany, the Netherlands, they all have these skin suits that they bring out just for the Olympics. And for the other three years, they're locked away in a cupboard and you can't see them. And it seems like, yeah. the, it seems to me that obviously we know the Castelli skin suits are fast, but maybe they're not the super, super fast Olympic ones that the other nations develop solely for the Olympics.
10: Yeah, maybe that's right, we we use um skin suit that uh, may be compared to other um, Olympic nations, for example New Zealand, they use a new um, skin suit with a completely different texture instead of us, and uh, I mean uh, this is for me uh, another interest, interesting aspect of the Olympics. Go there for see what the um, team developed in the past three four years. You know. Yeah. So maybe we were there and we are looking about you know uh, the new bike of uh, GB team or the new skin suit of New Zealand team. And this is interesting because it's something about we for sure we will working on for the uh, for the three for the three years. Uh, until uh, Paris and uh, yeah that's right for sure in a a, um, team pursuit and in all the uh, the track events for sure the technologies is really really important for you know the, the performance of every athlete so this is the direction that our uh, discipline is taking. And um, I hope that for uh, the future three years, Italy is taking the right direction, you know, with the right technologies.
2: Yeah, I, I guess that's another question that really comes back to funding, because is it is it the riders that are doing the research when you're on the ground at the Olympics? Or do you have somebody in the team who's dedicated to... Um, you know, innovation, performance, that kind of thing. Is there a dedicated member of the team or a dedicated, I don't know, unit even (laughs) in Italy?
10: Well, I mean, um, I'm talking, for example, I'm taking the man as an example. I read some articles that for the Rio Olympics when uh, Viviani won and uh, there was a completely different kind of omnium, he developed... um, the texture of skin suit and uh, other kind of materials by himself thanks to yeah for sure thanks to his sponsor but i think that's something he has done by himself i to be honest i don't know if also for tokyo was like this but i think that uh, for example with demand and with uh, the world Tour team uh, they develop and they help our national team to become better, you know, Mm -hmm. and um, I hope for sure this uh, helps a lot, and when you win, for sure you have done something something right.
2: Yeah, I I just find it so interesting knowing about the difference in resources, really, and I wonder if, i mean there's there's a lot of athletes it's on the women 's side in Italy who are kind of in the pool and you could choose from there's probably ten athletes who are up there and could be picked for the team pursuit team and it 's just trying to decide which ones and If you gave those riders the opportunities and facilities that other nations had, where would you guys be and that's that 's everything that 's training training infrastructure altitude camps, heat training, um equipment, it's really of the full package. And I think unless you have that 100% full package, you you can't be the Olympic champion and you can't really get a medal. And so I just wonder what you could do as a team if you had those resources. And I think it's really really fascinating. And I hope that over the next 3 years, you know, with the result of the men and with the inspiration and you know the team will get more funding and and a better yeah. infrastructure i think because it it definitely seems to me from the outside like italy is a little bit behind i think everybody's always behind uh you know gb and germany <laughs> they have a lot of money but um <laughs> yeah i just think that you guys could do so much and i mean did you did you do heat training in preparation for tokyo uh to be honest
9: no uh
10: but uh to be honest I will say that I, w- I would like to say that we are we have been a bit lucky because I think that heat training helps a bit more the road riders instead of us because yeah heat training for me was uh, something that I would have tried but okay it was not like this and when we were in the velodrome uh, luckily it was not so so hot inside the velodrome. And um, I think that that's another um, important point to say because um, also the performances of, for example, the team Pursuit and some times were really, really amazing times. For example, the world record of the man, the world record of the woman, and uh, also our national record. Uh, the track was really fast, I think, thanks to the heat, but also thanks to the kind of uh, pressure inside the track so uh, yeah this for saying that for sure the track was hot but the conditions weren't so so uh, extreme you know what i mean like so hot like uh, for the road races or for other sports for example i listened to the tennis that were like impossible to play at some point because of the uh because it was too hot fortunately for us it was not like this
2: so it felt really you know not that far off what a normal track apart from apart from if you're in the uk it felt what a normal <laughs> a normal track session might feel like for you when you were inside then did it
10: yeah you mean like uh, um in terms of temperature the... and yeah i mean i've I found in uh, some other World Cup uh, quite similar temperature. For example, I remember the New Zealand one or the Australian one. And also there, the team pursued some some teams set a really, really good time. But I mean, um, I think that this track was uh, with a really nice pressure. So it's also one of the factors that's why um, the team pursuit were so fast and uh, yeah, because uh, we say we, we know that maybe sometimes you can set a really fast time uh, and it's not because you have done the maximum of your VAT, this is important I think to, to say sometimes because maybe you, you can do a good performances but the velodrome were and the track were was not so fast as
2: another track you know it it seems uh, to me that the uh, both the male and women men's and women's world records are going to be pretty hard to beat with everybody coming out of Tokyo saying that the track was just so fast uh, that even with another well we only have three years instead of a four year development cycle now um, and then we go to Paris which is probably not going to be as hot I think that uh, we we may see those records stand for a really really long time
10: yeah, for me, especially the woman world record, it's something amazing, and uh, <laughs> you know the record are made to be <laughs> to be smashed.
8: So yeah.
10: uh, I don't know if this the correct translate, but okay, in Italy we say like this, no. So when you made a record, you know that some sometimes it could be smashed. You know sometimes. Mm-hmm. Someone arrived and smashed your previous record. So, for me, the woman record was is something amazing. But for sure, I hope in the future to see uh, some other crazy uh, records like this. And uh, yeah, I also hope for my national, uh my national team to smash our Italian record for something, something better.
2: Yeah, and I think knowing uh, knowing how much more you guys have to give, I, you know, not in terms of physical performance necessarily, but in terms of equipment and uh, and te- technology behind the team, I really think you will. And finally, I have to say, one of my favorite moments from watching the track at Tokyo was watching the men's team pursuit final, which was nail bitingly close, and Italy just clinched it after pulling it back from 0.8 of a second down with three laps to go to plus 0.16 or something. And, oh, the Italian team, you know, the rest of the Italian team in the stands, you and your teammates were just, oh, you were absolutely losing it. You were having such a good time. And I think seeing <laughs> that inspiration, cry, you know <laughs> seeing that inspiration firsthand, so, I sent you a photo. It was, it was amazing
10: for me was just an emotional moment because they made the history and we were there so we girls we start to cry and laugh and be so happy and when we listen to our um, how to say you know the song the italian um
2: national. The italian song yeah
10: see sorry sorry <laughs> the national uh, anthem from the podium yeah so so emotional and uh, i say to the other girl imagine when we were like uh, grannies and uh, you know on the tv they passed the uh, mom, the historic moment on the sport and we we were watching this you know we are watching this on the tv and we can say to our to our son and to to our family oh i was there <laughs> so yeah we laugh but it's true it's something that made the history especially the italian history of the sport and uh, that's why i say that for me it's so inspiring because be there and imagine that maybe one day we can also achieve this for me it's such a big motivation to uh, keep Keep going to do what I'm doing keep following my my decision to race on the track and uh, yeah also on the road but yeah I hope I really hope to be there in Paris yeah first we have to qualify and uh, second we I have to to be part of this election and third we have to go we we must go for for a medal so I really hope as you say that uh, yeah we, we were young but uh, we can improve a lot and uh, in every kind of uh, things that we can improve so not only the performances but also the aerodynamic components the materials and um,
2: yeah everything <laughs> I hope so <laughs> yeah <laughs> well good luck Martina I look forward to seeing you on that podium in 2024
10: <laughs> and I hope to see you at the Olympics too I really hope <laughs> me yeah. too
2: me too thanks Martina you can do
10: it you know <laughs> yeah thank you so much too.
0: oh do you know what Lizzie I've got so many questions RE track cycling but you know what I'm going to park a lot of them because I know full well that there are two very big hour record attempts happening in October I can't tell you who's doing them but I think People well I'm gonna really tell guess.
2: you it's uh Josh <laughs> Louden and Dan Bigham and you know, again we expect uh, to sorry. see <laughs> What I mean, was that? I, th- I
0: mean I know th- I know three, sorry, that's a third one. Yeah, you've named two. There's another one that I know. Oh,
2: there is another one. Well, Alex Dowsett's going for it, but is it is he going for it in September or is it December? I'm not I'm not sure when Alex Dowsett's going for his actually. But we expect to see uh, a drop in the women's hour record from uh, from Joss Loudon. So it's going to be really interesting. Dan Bigham is not actually able to go for the the overall hour record because he's not in the anti-doping world testing pool, which you have to be in order to, to, to qualify to do that. Um, but he is trying to break the British record. So that's going to be interesting. But for now, back to All Points North. So I was dart watching the whole weekend and it was, you know... A lot more exciting than it sounds (laughs) so we'll head back to there and find out who wins the 1000 kilometre sprint so it's monday morning now and i've been dot watching all weekend on the all points north tracker and uh every single rider has a dot And each dot has a colour to indicate their status and whether that's green for moving, orange for stationary, whether they're fueling, sleeping. And grey means the riders have scratched, which is that they've left the race. Unfortunately, one of our pre-race favourites, Nikki Shaw, has scratched for unknown reasons so far. Um, her, Her tracker shows that she's scratched at Corbridge. But it's really fascinating kind of watching the the race develop via a dot. And I woke up on Saturday morning, on Sunday morning, sorry, and uh, was was tracking everybody through the Lake District. And, you know, certain certain checkpoints, there's only so many ways you can go. Honest to Slate Mine, you go up through the Lake District, over Thalmere, up to Keswick and up the Borrowdale Road. I know that area quite well. And I was looking at the dots and I saw one dot, number 54, just head off up the Langdale Valley. And I thought, hold on a second, <laughs> that's, a, that's a dead end road. I know that road quite well. And of course, he then proceeded to just go all the way up the Langdale Valley, which is, uh, well, I think it's a bridleway, but it's a pretty rocky bridleway. And it's also a long, long way over you get to the top of uh, the pass and then you have to go a very long way down the Langstrath Valley before you get to a road eventually in Borrowdale. So (laughs) I've been tracking number 54's progress, Logan Mills, and he's doing really, really well. So I would love to catch up with him at the end and and find out what's going on. But for the moment, the main race seems to be between uh, number one, Power Pulaski, the winner from 2019, and number 77, Bradley Woodruff. So these two riders both decided to go different ways, one clockwise, one anticlockwise around the route. And at this point, they both have one checkpoint left. Paul Polowski, who is the favourite, has, has more distance to go, but uh, his route will be a lot flatter and a lot simpler as he's now heading towards Beverley um, and then from Beverley over to Sheffield, where the roads are relatively flat and quite fast. Bradley Woodruff is heading to um Leeds Pals Monument, which is near the top of Loft House in the Yorkshire Dales National Park, and then he's going to have to navigate his way back to Sheffield around Leeds and Wakefield, which may be much slower with traffic, traffic lights, etc. So it's gonna be uh an interesting day following following these dots, trying to guesstimate what time they're gonna be back at the Healy Institute in Sheffield and um yeah, I'm really enjoying it. It's 3.30 on Monday now. The riders have been going for 43 and a half hours, pretty much nonstop, stop um, And there is a real sprint finish between bib number one, Paul Palowski, and bib number 77, Bradley Woodruff. So they're both coming from different directions. Um Powell is over in Gaul and uh, Bradley's up in Leeds. and It's really going to be so close. They've probably got about two and a half hours of riding left. I just can't call it who it's going to be, but I'm really excited to keep watching those dots and get down to Healy Institute for the finish. Well, I'm just leaving home. It's the last 45 maybe minutes of the race. Um, after about a thousand kilometers, it's coming down to a sprint finish and it is still too difficult to tell who's going to win. So we're heading over to Healy now and hopefully I'll update you soon. So I'm at the Healy Institute now, we're waiting for the first two finishers to come in and they're both within the city of Sheffield, it's absolutely nail-biting, but in the meantime I'm here with Bib number 58, who's already back because unfortunately he had to scratch. Um, First off, could you just introduce yourself and then could you tell us the the story of your race and and what happened and why you had to scratch?
11: So I'm Vincent, I'm from Belgium but I live in Cambridge now and I think that's part of why i had to scratch because uh, i am used to ride on flat and you so saw yesterday after the night in the yorkshire dale with the very very steep climbs uh, i felt that yeah i was giving a lot and then later later in the day sunday my knees starting to be painful so i was trying to to keep moving on with, and, and to, to reduce the pain by putting ice and, and painkillers. It went fine and then it came back. And then this morning it was just impossible to, to pedal. So I was pushing my bike on, on the climbs and riding on flats and on descent, hoping, I don't know, what maybe that the pain will disappear. And then after, I don't remember, but maybe 40k like that, uh, I realized that I had still 500k to do. So, so
2: you're only halfway through the race. Where, where did this happen then?
11: Uh, just before uh, Cockdale. Yeah, just before Cockdale, Yeah, in the climbs there. I, I really had to stop it. It was like a knife in my knee. It was really terrible. Uh, and then I stopped for five ten minutes I've lowered my seat a little bit because I've heard that it can help but then it was five fine for ten minutes and then it's really terrible I couldn't it's yeah I couldn't push the pedals so yeah it took me a time to send the message to say that I want to to scratch and after that I took the bus and then the train to Sheffield and and now, I'm, I'm here to see the, the exciting finish. Oh, excitement here.
2: I'd say number 77 has possibly gone the wrong way around the ring road because it's actually the hilly way. And then number one uh, is all on the flat a bit coming through town, just going under the, the mm-hmm. viaduct and then he's just got to come around the ring road. Or it is touch and go here at the Healy Institute. Oh my gosh, it is so, so close. The riders are both coming to the same set of traffic lights and it could literally be a sprint up the final hill to the finish. So we are just waiting here now. The organisers have got their pots and pans to cheer the riders on. It is so different to any kind of bike race I've been been to before, but also exactly the same. The riders probably don't know what's going on. We know what's going on and we think we know what's going to happen. But yeah, it's getting to the end. It looks on the tracker like one of the riders may have even gone slightly the wrong way they should they should be here by now they should be meters away we're just waiting for them to come round the final corner hey i can see a bicycle cresting yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> now is that number 77 Bradley Woodruff has just arrived <laughs> to the sounds of pots and pans, and we are awaiting the second-place finisher, who is coming. We think he's just around the corner. Unbelievable! And here he is! Oh my goodness! Would you believe it? That's been 30 seconds between the riders after 1,000 kilometres. <laughs> what an unbelievable finish! <laughs> seconds. What's happened?
6: 30 seconds. You came before? Yeah. yeah. Well yeah. done, man. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody red light on the train. Oh. <laughs> yeah. No excuses. No, I'm joking. I'm joking.
2: Bradley, Brad, how is it to have just completed a thousand kilometre trip around Britain and won?
12: Yeah. <laughs> There's not much to say. I don't think the winning matters too much, to be honest. Uh, But no, it was a good ride. I'm absolutely zonked.
2: (laughs) What was the hardest part for you?
12: I don't know. You have good spells and bad spells, so it's quite a lot of bad spells this time. Mainly the heat. The heat today and yesterday. That was the worst thing.
2: And you didn't expect that before? It wasn't really forecasted, was it? So.
12: Otherwise I wouldn't have worn like, a
2: winter suit. Yeah, so you've been wearing a winter, a, suit. Wearing a winter race suit which has got a yeah. thermal Roubaix thing and arrived with it wrapped around his
12: waist. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you couldn't ditch it, so there's nothing you could do, right? No, this morning I literally stopped for a few hours. I was like riding my route, but freewheeling so that I didn't get too hot. But then even just being in the sun, I was too hot. So I would stop for a bit and then I just thought, Well, I may as well just wrap it round me and carry on riding. (laughs) (laughs) There's not much else I could have done. If I had a T-shirt, I would have put a T-shirt on, but it was actually quite nice, to be honest, having the fresh air on you.
2: And how was your ride, pal?
6: Yeah, great, <laughs> very good,
2: so I think you were, you got here second by about thirty seconds, and you said you were waiting for a train for about five minutes at the
6: end of your ride yeah, it wasn't five minutes, but I think two minutes for sure, yeah, just down there, yeah, and
2: it <laughs> feels it like a, forever it
6: was red light, yeah, I was thinking to do like an ali you know I'm, I'm I used to do ali back in Poland, but I thought nah, I better stop a red light, <laughs> and what was
2: the hardest part for you
6: uh. Pff. I don't know. You know, there were some heavy climbs. Uh, it wasn't much from the route. Uh, probably uh, the traffic today. After <laughs> the second day of the, d- of the second part of the day, and in the morning.
12: <laughs> My design was going to run out of battery, so then I started ah. recording on here, and now that's disappeared. Yeah. So, oh, there it is. No, Finish.
6: <laughs> no, didn't happen. I don't know. Do <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> it again. Come
12: on, where are the stats? <laughs> yeah, no, nah, it, it's on two different devices, so I can't.
2: Uh, too sleep deprived to add up. <laughs> 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 understandable. Okay, I'm just going to get the stats from the ride from Powell because uh, Bradley's ride is uploaded in two parts, so yeah, uh, sure. too tired to add it all oh. up. So, distance, overall distance
6: 956k. Mm, Climbing, yeah, climbing, uh, thirteen thousand seven hundred. Yeah. Fair meters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fair number of meters. I think I think two thousand nineteen was like uh, about nine thousand. 9, so, so
2: nice. Yeah, fifty yeah. percent increase. Yeah,
6: yeah. And uh, what else do you want?
2: Uh, average average moving speed over the forty. Oh. 40- Twenty-two Seven hours. point
6: five. Not not really impressive. Four hours stop. Forty-two hours thirty-six minutes right
2: Four hours stopped overall.
6: Yeah. Too much. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's interesting because didn't you in twenty nineteen didn't you only only rack up about twenty minutes of stopping I mean, or something like
6: that? No, you sleep. Ah, uh, okay. But uh, you know this year.
2: I was wondering how that. You could know be every possible, checkpoint but... you
6: have to stop. You have to find the answer. For the question. That is there. And some checkpoints, you know, most of them actually I did through the night. So finding the, you know, the how old was the king or something like that, <laughs> uh, you know, of the monument. You didn't spend
12: five minutes, five Even minutes more, just yeah. go like that and yeah. you're just looking around trying to find yeah. the, the checkpoint.
2: So the checkpoint is often like a statue then or something and it'll have some information on there F- that you have to oh, photograph.
12: Was in Silverdale was a, a sign for a walk. And I was looking, I was like, yeah, torches out.
2: I guess I assumed that there would be someone sitting in a village hall who would sign you off, but no, it's not quite that easy. Yeah,
6: yeah and for example, the most northern point, yeah. I mixed the names, and I read the question for the wrong checkpoints about the gate, and I was checking all the, all the gates around there looking for this, sign, you know, initials that they were supposed to be on the reservoir, <laughs> you know. And spend uh, like fifteen minutes for for looking at it, and then that was a weird checkpoint. yeah, and then I stopped, I mean looked at the names again, and I realized that I'm looking at the wrong checkpoint <laughs> so yeah, that's probably why such a long stops. I would say ten minutes for every checkpoint, you have ten checkpoints, which is one hundred minutes, yeah.
2: Well, there we have it. After a thousand kilometers, it came down to thirty seconds i I really couldn 't believe it. It was nail biting, it was thrilling. It was so different from a normal bike race, but just so similar and yeah i I guess i 'm hooked. <laughs> you know kind of want to go there next year myself and it was a little bit mean of me to shove a mic in the face of two completely dead participants. But I guess I just wanted to catch up a little bit on uh, a couple of the other people racing who we didn't get to catch up with at the finish. First off, I spoke to Nikki Shaw about her journey. So, Nikki, I woke up on Monday morning seeing your dot gone grey, which meant that you had to scratch. What happened? Because it was such a great race for you up till there. So, what was the story?
9: It was it was all going really well. Um, so, the race uh, started just how I planned. So, I had my head down all the way up until Carlisle, which was about over 300 kilometres into the race um, just decided to stop there and refuel and then push on um, into the night perhaps have a nap somewhere Um, so I went up to Kilda and then across a a gravel section um, heading towards the the northern checkpoint and it was at the end of that that gravel section that I sort of I noticed that my back back wheel was, was starting to wobble and I actually thought I'd broken a spoke so I stopped to have a look at the wheel, and it was absolutely fine. I couldn't look out what was actually um, what was the problem. So I carried on, and then yeah, I just I stopped again because obviously something wasn't quite right. And then I realised it was the actual tyre. It was um, it was kind of bulging in a few places. So uh, at that point, I didn't know. What had happened, or what had caused it? But um, obviously, it's something that couldn't be fixed uh, there and then. So, um, it's tubeless tyres as well. So it wasn't like you know there was a problem with the tube or anything like that. But um, at this this point, it was sort of eight o'clock at night, so it wasn't like it was quite a remote stretch of the course as well. So it wasn't like you know there was a bike shop within. Um, cycling distance, or anything that would be open anyway at that time of night. So um, the only choice really was to just to, to try and continue, just in as safe as manner as possible. So I managed to get to Crawford by about two o'clock. Um, it, it's quite quite a, a sketchy. Um, ride actually because you know just going down descents to sort of anything above 20 kilometers an hour and the back wheel would be really um starting to make the bike um oscillate and it just wasn't safe at all so i got to crawford about two o'clock and i decided actually it's not it's not a safe situation to be in so i very luckily managed to find a public toilet and which is open, so and that, that's always nice. So had a had a there. Uh, <laughs>
2: that's just, luxury just, for your ultra for the line, average yeah. ultra cyclist. <laughs>
9: <laughs> yeah, it has just started raining as well, and I was oh my god, this, this is just horrendous now. You know, <laughs> one minute the, the ride can be going really well, and then just within the matter of a couple, a couple of hours, it can everything can start start to go wrong for you. So.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so you had no option but to scratch. But actually the story continues, doesn't it? And I'm talking to you now one week later and tell us what you've just done. <laughs>
9: <laughs> so I, uh, it seemed like ages ago now, but I, so I scratched on the, the race started on the Saturday night and I had to stop on the, so it was the following night and I, I got home on the Monday and then I was back at work on, so I had three days of work, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And then during that time, I, I was, I mean, when I scratched, it, uh, it's already sort of, it was already punched in my head. You know, the, I'm not ready to scratch. It's its purely a, a mechanical that has caused me to have to stop riding. So it, it wasn't like, you know... It was a decision on my part. It was just um, a decision more out of safety than anything else. So uh, I was already thinking about, you know, how can I actually continue this ride? I don't have an injury to deal with. Um, I've just got to get the, the right equipment. So I had to sort out a new pair of tyres in those three days that I was at work, um, which I managed to do. And then on the Friday night, I, I got a train back up to Crawbridge, um, arrived at Corbridge at half past 11 at night and just continued my route just just so i <laughs> i didn't go back to the public toilet <laughs> not not quite not quite there <laughs> i went back to the train station obviously got off the train and then um just continued the route and and got home got home last night in time to to go to bed at midnight so uh it was quite quite a long day yesterday let's say
2: <laughs> So Bradley Woodruff's overall stats were 967 kilometres, 13,390 metres of climbing and 41 hours and 33 minutes moving time. The winner in the women's event was Charlotte Thompson at 52 hours. The tandem event, sorry, the with uh, w- the pairs event was my friends Hannah and Liam in 55 hours. And the tandem, who we heard from earlier in the show, they did it in 79 hours, which I think is just incredible. The weight of that thing and the extra distance they would have had to go was amazing. But I mean, just what an amazing event. It was so inspiring and yeah, I am actually trying to plan some some really long day and all day adventures now. I think that's uh, back on my to do list as soon as I'm uh, as soon as I get the medical go ahead. But yeah, what a great event! Absolutely brilliant. Lizzie, is this
0: catching on? We know in the men's peloton, it's kind of it really has caught on. This kind of alternative racing you know don't just do the road you know do some do some stuff that really excites you or you know gives you that love of cycling but is is that is the same spirit happening in the women's side of things I mean or do you even get the same freedom
2: um I yes and no um generally no but I think it's catching on in parts and certain teams where the the sponsors kind of identify with that kind of thing um Tiffany Cromwell has been doing some some gravel racing for Canyon tram this year uh, Lauren Stevens has also been doing some some gravel ultra races um oh, are they are they ultra races no probably not ultra races because <laughs> they're just one day but you know like 300 300 kilometer gravel races serious I'm
0: going to say that's an ultra race okay. I'm going to call it. Ultra. <laughs> Trip. we're yeah. gonna
2: the emails is gonna come flooding not, in yeah. please send them in yeah. <laughs> but uh she's been doing that she rides for tibco team Tipco silicon valley bank and i guess it's their, their sponsor cannondale who are really pushing that it's quite interesting to see the motivation of of different teams some teams are, are very pure you know road races and then actually you have teams like ineos grenadiers who perhaps you wouldn't think of them to, to be more alternative but we've got tom pidcock doing cross you know he's now the olympic mountain bike champion and he's an absolute beast on the road so perhaps as as people do kind of become become more diverse in what they do and teams see the benefit of it with you know rider happiness and welfare and actually they're they're more motivated because they're doing more diverse things perhaps it'll become you know, more, more common in, in the pro peloton. So it's going to be interesting. It's going to be really interesting to watch the development of gravel racing and and seeing kind of which pros uh, do it whilst they're racing or which pros just retire and go straight into gravel racing. But I think it's great. I think it's a really good way to get more people riding their bikes. And to be honest, the more people we have riding bikes, the better.
0: Well, Lizzie, I was going to end the show. I was going to be a bit mean. I was going to ask you which team you would be trying to persuade to let you do these events but I'm, I'm not i'm going to leave people hanging i'm going to leave people hanging i'm not going to ask that question uh, thanks ever so much lizzie we'll find but we will find out more about what you're doing next season in due course i am sure
2: absolutely thanks very much tom good to catch up with you and see you soon